Hi listeners, welcome to It's the People, our interview series where we explore the inside story of building companies and investment portfolios with high-octane founders, limited partners, and fund managers. We hope these conversations push you to be even better at what you do. This episode, my partner Andy Greenfield and I, Wills Hapworth, had the opportunity to interview Matthew Glick, the CEO of Gipper, a dominant graphics creation and branding platform for sub-professional sports, making all programs and athletes look pro. We discussed a range of topics, including why athletes make for great entrepreneurs, the evolution of a leader's role as a company grows, what the future will look like for sub-professional sports, why it's way more compelling to be the man in the arena, and much, much more. To start things off, Matthew begins the conversation with his life story in 60 seconds. Before we begin, I want to note that this interview is for informational purposes only, and that the opinions expressed should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. If you could paint a picture of your life in, you know, 60 seconds or less, we'll give you two minutes if you have to, but, uh, you know, your life story in 60 seconds if possible. Uh, well, I was born in uh, London uh, to two uh, great supportive parents and an awesome brother. I moved to LA um, and brought with me at a young age a love for sports. I um, played every sport imaginable growing up, but uh, was really passionate about soccer. Uh, committed to play Division One uh, soccer uh, when I was a, I believe, a sophomore um, in high school, and that was really my focus was playing the highest level of collegiate soccer, uh, but also going to a great academic school. And I think I achieved that in going to Colgate University. I got exposed to entrepreneurship really for the first time my senior year in high school, where the idea for my company Gipper really first started. And then was lucky enough to take that with me to Colgate, where I was introduced to an amazing entrepreneurship program that allowed me to uh, develop as a human and as an entrepreneur and find out that I want to start and run a company for a living. Um, and had an amazing athletic experience, an amazing academic experience in college, really developed as a person. And that set me up for success uh, now in my early professional life. Awesome. Um, I, I sort of predicted- 57 seconds. Yeah. Was that okay? I, 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 that's, I've never, that's a great question. I, so I, I had a kind of prediction of like what, you know, we, we've obviously known each other for some time. You know, I, I thought you might map out a few of these things and- uh, you know, I actually wrote down something that I was trying to understand myself. So you went to a highly rigorous liberal arts college. You were a division one college athlete. And as you said, you ran a business for all four years while you were in school. Uh, and you know, actually before school, like, are you just a glutton for punishment? Where does this drive come from? That is a great question. Um, I think I've always found interest in doing things that are challenging, and I've always wanted to uh, push to do the very best that I could possibly do, uh, whether that was in academics, athletics, or in entrepreneurship. If I get exposed to something and I have an interest in it, I want to do my very, very best. I'm very competitive in that way, and I feel like I have a chip on my shoulder <laughs> for some reason. I can't really point to why, but that's the way I feel. Um, and so I get a lot of energy and excitement around, uh, you know, around that sort of competitiveness and trying to do the very best that I can be, you know, trying to do the very best that I can do in whatever field. And when I got exposure to entrepreneurship in college, um, that was so much like sports 
what I love most about it is like the competitive nature um, and building a team and, you know, being able to really work really hard at something and then see success as a result of that hard work. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, there's definitely pain that comes along with it, but I enjoyed that journey and that struggle to be your very best. So, so Matthew, part of our job, as you know, is to wrestle with you a little bit. You know, I've met lots of people who, you know, always want to do their very best in whatever they're doing. You've selected some fields where, you know, if you fail, it's very clear and very obvious and very public, frankly. You know, whether you're on the field and you let somebody pass you or, you know, you've done a startup and all of a sudden you're cratering. And that feels different. That's a different level of pressure. That's a different level of, you know, kind of competition. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah. When I, when I hear that, Andy, I think about that quote. I think it's titled The Man in the Arena. You know, I'm not sure if you're familiar. Um, I can't recite I love that quote. by heart. But I, yeah, I do love the quote. And that's how I, I think I've always thought about these things. I'd much rather be the man in the arena than the person watching from outside. Um, and I don't feel uh, fear failure in that sense. I don't want to fail. Um, but I'd, I'd much rather risk something, do my very best, put my all into it and then fail. I think that's a more sort of noble venture than never trying at all. So that's really how I think about these things. Um, and if failure happens, so be it as long as I've done everything I possibly can to be successful. But if you don't do that, then I don't, you know, then it's, it's not worth it. Um, so that's why I really try to bring, you know, my very best to everything I do. So I don't have that sort of regret in the event that I do fail. Matthew, I'm just curious, cause I've gotten to know some of your family as well. Like you said, you don't know where this comes from, but if you just kind of think on it a bit, like where that chip on your shoulder, this competitive spirit, like, is there anything that you can kind of point to in your development or was this truly just kind of nature? Uh, how you were. <laughs> um, well, I think my parents definitely, you know, have it. My mom was an actress, which is uh, at a very high level uh, professionally, which is a very competitive field to be in. Um, my dad, you know, played sports growing up and um, he, I've been so impressed understanding the arc of his career. Um, he's done really, really incredible things that I'm so proud of that I know came through sheer hard work and determination. So there's definitely that aspect for sure. Uh, but I do remember my mom talking about when I was very little playing sports and sort of my body language and the things that I would do on the soccer field where she would, you know, look on the field and think, you know, who is that kid? Because that's not like the person that, you know, I talk to when you're not playing sports. It's like a sort of like different sort of competitive spirit comes out. Um, so I think that's been something that I've had since a very early age that I've definitely pulled from my parents. But I think even they have been, you know, shocked at the extent <laughs> you know, of it. I'm curious, you know, you, you were in the entrepreneurship program at Colgate for four years. Did, where did, was that an itch you needed to scratch from college, from before college? Where did that come from? I mean, has yes, this been part of what you've thought about or dreamt about? Yeah. I've not been that, you know, I was not that typical entrepreneur kid. I wasn't doing lemonade stands or selling candy in the hallways growing up. I was really focused initially on athletics. I wanted to play professional sports. And then I got much more interested in academics as I got older. I wanted to use athletics and academics to go to the best school possible and get the best education I could. 
It really wasn't until my senior year in high school when I got exposed to this class that had a two-week portion on entrepreneurship um, where I started to get the entrepreneurial bug. And I had to come up with an idea, Shark Tank style, in a very small environment, pitch it, and um, came up with the original idea that Gipper led into. And as soon as I um, had that idea and the exposure to the class, that's when I really got excited about entrepreneurship. And I thought, you know, why not? Like, why shouldn't I go and try and build this? And I've always had that belief. Like, if I really put my mind to something and I try really hard and I'm smart about the way I go about things and I learn from people who've been through it before, um, then there shouldn't be a reason that I couldn't, you know, accomplish it. Unless it's like putting a rocket on the moon. I know my weaknesses. I'm not a hard science and math guy. Uh, but everything else I feel like with hard work, determination, uh, but being smart about how you go about things, you know, I, I can get it done. Oh, so Matthew, there's this like thread of sports that I'm sure will kind of continue throughout this conversation. Cause obviously we're going to talk a lot about your business, Gipper. Um, you know, if, if there was one thing that we observed over the years in the incubator that we built at Colgate, it was that the athletes and, you know, you were one of them, a division one athlete, a full-time student, and, you know, in this case, also full-time entrepreneurs tended to kind of performance exceed at higher rates. It's not to say that they all were successful in their ventures, but that that was a theme that we saw. I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to like why that was the case. I actually, I think about this all the time because I do have a lot of good friends who are you know, very competitive athletes played at really high levels and also great entrepreneurs. And I think it's a theme that, you know, people do talk about, you know, for me personally, sports taught me some of the best lessons and kind of molded me into the person I am today. Um, and some of these things are like being coachable. Like when I was a player and there's certainly different types of athletes and not everyone is coachable. Um, but I was someone who always wanted to be a sponge and to learn from coaches, my other teammates, other people who played the sport before. I was always looking to get better and was like curious in that sense. So being coachable is like one of the biggest things that I've learned from from sports that translate, I think, directly into entrepreneurship, especially in the early stages. When for me, I had no other real professional experience except food deliveries. <laughs> so I needed to be coachable and to learn quickly. Um, other thing is just, I think, sheer uh, work ethic and determination and um, persistence, perseverance, just not wanting to give up um, because there are plenty of times when you're playing sports and people do right like where you can and almost should quit based on a whole bunch of circumstances maybe your team hasn't won you know 10 games you're tired of waking up and going to 5 a.m lift uh, in the middle of the you know brutal snow day in hamilton new york um and for some people they're like you know that's too much for me i don't you know want to deal with that and so they quit and that may be a great decision for them but for me personally it's like i never wanted to quit anything. And I think part of that was because I loved what I was doing so much. I loved being a part of this team. I loved playing the sport. I always wanted to keep doing it no matter the hardships. And that also very much translates to entrepreneurship, particularly in the early stages. There was like a million reasons for me to quit Gipper uh, in the early days. I remember, and we can get into like the founding story, but I remember one day being in the basement of the college library, speaking with one of my best friends. And at the point, at this point in time, we were really doing a service-based business and I'd been working on it for quite a while and we had a few customers, but there wasn't, you know, that much to show for, you know, all the effort that I personally, you know, had put in and all the hours. And I remember just telling him like, why am I doing this? You know, like, like, should I even be doing this? Like, I really had the thought of like, maybe, 
maybe I am crazy and I should quit because I think at this point, all of my friends essentially saw me smashing my head into a wall a million times, but getting nothing from it. And uh, I was actually pretty much in tears, uh, which is uh, kind of uh, crazy for me to think about looking back. And luckily, I, I had a friend who was very supportive and he, he, he told me not to, you know, not to stop. And that was really all I needed. But you have those moments in sports and in entrepreneurship. And oftentimes, you know, those decisions about whether you should stop or keep going are all the difference. Um, and I got that sort of, you know, perseverance, that unwillingness to quit or be stopped, you know, from playing competitive sports growing up. Interesting. Oh, so I have to about banging. I was just going to say, <laughs> interesting. You mentioned about banging your head against the wall, which we sometimes say an entrepreneur is someone who bangs their head against the wall. So the wall either moves or they die of blood loss. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying not to die of blood loss, um, and I'm grateful that uh, I think I broke through that initial wall. I think there's more, always more walls to come. Um, so yeah, hopefully I have a strong head and can, can make it through. So Matthew, because I know that you also now train jujitsu, and uh, I'm curious, like you've talked about how like sports taught you some of your best lessons and, and kind of shaped you into who you are today. Is the practice of jujitsu kind of informing anything kind of around who else you can be or is there kind of a, a relationship between that training and kind of work and business that you're seeing is uh important yeah i want to i want to put out a disclaimer i'm a white belt yeah, yeah. I'm a, who is much smaller than me beats me up all the time so i'm no expert when it comes to jujitsu but it has been an incredible uh learning experience um, i think i started doing jujitsu during sort of the pandemic with my roommate actually in our apartment um, so it's been like, you know, a, a couple of years now. Um, and the craziest thing for me was how many times I lost or failed or got tapped out. Um, it was like this repeated failure uh, where you start to, um, initially it's like this ego shock almost. You can't believe that you're just repeatedly losing and losing and losing. And it's also painful. Uh, it hurts. Um and um, there were times then where I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm getting just embarrassed by my roommate right now, you know, over and over again. Um, and it reminded me so much of, again, me playing sports growing up and entrepreneurship, that thing we were just talking about, just banging your head against the wall repeatedly without seeing any success. Um, and then eventually you start to get better and you start to learn why you're you know, losing so often and you start to make adjustments and then you may start to uh, you know, win and, and start to tap out the other person. And, but it only, that only shows if you stick with it at consistency. So I think, you know, that's um, really, really relevant. And then also jujitsu is such a thoughtful um, sport. Um, it's very um, like technical and you have to always be thinking multiple steps ahead and understanding what are the options of your opponent and then how you should be prepared to counter, uh, you know, those moves. And that's very much like entrepreneurship and business. You want to think through all the possibilities um, in the market, what other companies could be doing, um, and how you're going to, you know, react, but but ahead of time and being proactive and in, in, in kind of preparing. So it's been I, a I, super fascinating journey. I have a lot more uh, have to do and a lot more classes to show up to. Uh, I, I love uh, here. I love hearing this. I mean, I have a uh, distinct memory of being of training one day, and I'd rolled with like six or seven people that absolutely just destroyed me. And by the last one, 
I burst out in tears. I was like, I, this is uh, your concept of ego shock, I think is really interesting. Like probably something all of us need more of. Um, and I just remember that feeling of like total defeat, no matter what I did, I couldn't win. And then you kind of pick yourself back up again and kind of go back into the gauntlet the next day. And hopefully you're a bit sharper. So, uh, you're that, that, uh, story of like your smaller roommate, just making you feel like, uh, you know, a total beginner, I think resonates really loudly for me. <clears throat> Absolutely. We want to keep things, we want to keep things on a nice optimistic note. So springboarding off of your white belt comment, I will point out that every black belt started as a white belt. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. <laughs> so, so let's just switch gears for a second. Cause you know, we, We've known you and seen you through the lens of people working with you as an entrepreneur. Uh, but in order to kind of round out that picture, I'm going to ask you to do an exercise for us. The key on this exercise is that you respond very fast. Not a lot of thinking, kind of quick response. So imagine we gather four or five of your friends together in a room and we say to them, shout out two or three words that capture or come to mind when you think of your friend. Matt Quick. What do they shout out? Hardworking, uh, good friend, fun to be around, ambitious. Is that enough, Andy? And yeah. How, how do they feel? How do they experience the ambition part? Well, like I was saying earlier, they, you know, a lot of my friends, um, you know, were there in college or, you know, were high school friends who were hearing about what I was working on in college and they've kind of seen the journey almost firsthand. Um, and I was saying again, like they were probably thinking, why is Matthew, you know, doing all of this, right? We're in college, like we're division one athletes. We're going to school. Like we're so busy with all this other stuff and we want to have fun and all these things. Um, but you know, Matthew's, you know, staying up all night, putting together these highlight tapes and creating graphics for, you know, high schools and small colleges across the country in the early days. Um, and then as I would continue to talk to them about, you know, where the business was going, I think they were always like shocked that, oh my goodness, you, you've done this now. Wow. Your team's that big now. Um, and, but they saw it from, you know, nothing, truly nothing to now something. And we're still early and we have so much to do, but they've seen that sort of, um, ambition, uh, firsthand and also on the soccer field, I came into my class, my freshman year, essentially unable to play because I tore my ACL for the second time right before season. And um, I had a doctor tell me my freshman year, I was never going to play again, the uh, team's orthopedic. Um, and I remember coming back uh, to my roommate and telling him the news and I, he was shocked um, and I was extremely shocked. Uh, but then I ended up um, coming back and playing my junior and senior year, uh, years. And I think everyone was, you know, pretty surprised and, you know, impressed in that sort of ambition, because again, there were so many reasons just to not do it. Like all the rehab, I had to get another surgery in order to play. There were so many reasons to not go through all of that, but I wanted to be a part of the team. I loved, you know, being there for my teammates and I wanted to prove to myself that I could play at that level. And they were there to witness that whole journey as well. So they saw it in athletics um, and also with, with Gipper and, and the growth we've seen. Um, and, and the things that I talked to them about, I talked to them about these things all the time. Like what excites me is going big for things that are exciting and huge opportunities. And I talk about it with their, you know, careers and what their interests are. I'm always like really fascinated about those sorts of things. Were you the one star more on the team? Or have you like played a different role when you play sports? Like were you the, yeah. the best, like the, the <laughs> best person on the team or was like, I, I was known for something else. 
I was absolutely not the star or the best player on the team. Um, I didn't play at all uh, until my junior spring and my senior season. Um, and I came off the bench, you know, a little bit. I played like 10 games uh, my senior year. So I was definitely not the star. Uh, there were players who were much better than me, um, much more talented than me and, and more effective than me on the field. However, I think, you know, my role in the team, I was one of those sort of um, like locker room uh, teammates that, you know, you know, team culture, especially in college athletics is really, really important. There are a lot of distractions, a lot of other things going on. And you want to make sure you have a really tight knit group that's bought in and, and, um, and where people are enjoying, you know, it, despite, you know, all the hardships. And I think I was one of those uh, people, you know, you could ask my teammates and maybe they didn't, or my coach, but you know, I was always trying to speak with uh, kids in other classes, the younger guys, the older guys, and help bring people together. And also brought sort of like a lighthearted nature to the team as well in certain cases when appropriate. Um, and then the seriousness, you know, when, when it made sense. So that was really my role. Uh, definitely not impact as much on the field, but more so off the field and in the locker room and things like that. Hey, can I do one quick follow-up? So your your friends would shout out hardworking, Matt's a good friend, fun to be around, ambitious. Is there... If you could wave a wand and add one more thing about you, one more element of your personality that you wish they would say, maybe it's something you don't have or don't have in as much abundance as you'd like. Anything you'd want to add to that? It's a great question, Andy. And I know, I don't know if this is also supposed to be a rapid fire response, but I, I would... I would like to think more about it because I think it's an important question. You know, I think one of the things that I've struggled with, especially you know, with my friends um, over the past few years, is the amount of time that I have um, or that I've you know given to my friends. I wish, in a lot of cases, that I you know spend more time with them, you know, and have longer conversations over the phone and Facetimes and things like that. I felt like over the past few years, with everything going on uh, with with Gipper, honestly, that. I've been so dedicated to growing the business, which I think is necessary, but that sacrificed a lot of personal time with my friends and being being there. And I still think that I've been obviously, you know, a good friend and been supportive. But, you know, there's always part of me that's, you know, especially with family as well, friends and family, like wanting to be there, um, you know, for them. Because everyone's going through stuff. And um, as a as a friend, as a family member, you want to make sure that you're a part of that and just, and really supportive. So that's one thing. But it's a hard balance when you're growing an early stage company sacrifices in my opinion need to be made um and so it's 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 difficult um but yeah i would love to think more about that i can maybe even give you a more thoughtful response maybe a slightly easier question like you know thinking about things you'd like to add um you know at your age you've already accumulated a, a pretty rich base of skills and experience like, is there anything you'd like to add to Matthew, the business person that you think would make you more effective in your work? Or like, again, like yeah. Matrix style, I now know, doesn't even, he yeah. didn't even say, I now know, I think he says, I now know karate, or what does he say? Um, anyway, like Matthew, like downloads a specific skill. Is there something you wish you could add right now that would make you more effective? Yeah, I mean, I think, probably what every entrepreneur at my stage would say is I want the skills of the successful entrepreneur who's the one stage ahead. Um, that ability, you know, to, to scale the team and hiring to that next level of growth um, and to understand sort of where the potholes are as you scale 
the company, you know, uh, you know, in a larger, larger fashion. You know, that's something that I'm going through right now, and I'm leaning on advisors and uh, good folks like you, obviously, um, to try to soak up as best I can. But if I already had that experience, like that would be a superpower for me because again, then you're not seeing things for the first time and you can be way more proactive. Um, I'm trying to cheat that again through working with advisors, speaking with entrepreneur friends who are a step ahead, you know, but that would be a big thing, particularly around hiring and building a team. Cause I think for me personally, we're a software company, but people are going to be the reason uh, why we're successful or not as successful. Can we push you a little on that one though? And I'll use yeah. a sports analogy. Because your answer there was, I loved it, but it's somewhat broad. Yeah. Sports analogy would be, in your sports soccer, I'd love to be able to shoot with my left foot. Um, is there a specific skill you've noticed as you're building your companies that you wish you had or had in considerably more abundance? Functional area. Yeah. I think one functional area would be finance. Um, you know, I, I went to, as Will said, a liberal arts school, Colgate University. I did take one accounting class that was offered, but there's not enough, there's not a ton of exposure, you know, to, you know, doing things like building really effective business models, uh, diving really deep into Excel and, and having real deep skills in those areas. I think, especially as the business scales, that becomes more important, um, especially as you're dealing with much bigger expenses and much larger teams. Um, and so that would be like a technical skill that I think would be, uh, you know, valuable to have. Of course, you can support that with other team members. Um, and I think it's less important in the very early days, but that's something that I, you know, I didn't really get exposure to in my education growing up. Got it. Is there anything that like, uh, done the other way that you just like to get rid of if you could cut out. And it's probably not a skill, but like some aspect of who you are, I don't know. It's like, you know, a bad trait that you have that you know is, is there and it just affects your ability to kind of be, you know, like be effective in certain areas. Is there something you just wish you could drop about yourself? Yeah. I mean, I wish I could be the most organized person in the world. I, I see, uh, you know, people and friends who like you walk into their room or their office and everything is in like the perfect state. They have that like notebook next to their computer that has all the to do is clearly mapped out. They have like maybe a couple sticky notes that are in the perfect place. And, <laughs> you know, they turn around and look at you and you're like, wow, you have everything mapped out, you know, through probably like 10 years or something. That level of organization, I think would be, uh, you know, would be great. Um, I'm not, you know, if you look in, uh, in my room where I live, it's a little bit of, you know, I like to think organized chaos. Um, so yeah, from an organization standpoint, I think you know that that would be a, a skill I'd like to add, or or maybe a little bit of disorganization taken out of, of my life. Uh, I have to introduce you to my partner, Will's Hapworth. He has. <laughs> is that you? Is that you, Will? Oh, you gotta, yeah, I've been, but it's never. Tricks. It's it's still a mess from my perspective. But yeah. Um, well, I'm just curious, like on that point, because you've got a thousand balls in the air right now, right? Like you're building a business. Uh, and, you know, we've watched you actually be very kind of disciplined, you know, make decisions, prioritize. What is your process for that? If if you aren't the person who's got the perfect sticky notes all over the, com you know, in the perfect area on the computer and the, the most organized project management software that people actually, you know, follow and deliver on, what is, 
can you unpack a bit of your process around kind of decision prioritizing and decision making? Yeah. Well, I think there's um, a little bit of a difference in what I was talking about. You know, part of the disorganization is in life outside of the business. Um, that, in my opinion, will also find it's what will over time trickle into uh, the business because I don't think you can truly separate the two. Like your personal life is going to flow into your work life. Your work life is going to, uh, you know, flow into your your personal life. Um, and so I think, you know, being more organized in my personal life will just allow me to be even better professionally. Um, but from a professional standpoint, I can definitely get better. But, you know, I do make um, to-do lists, you know, in terms of work. Um, and then I also have, um, you know, a, a pretty great structure of, you know, checking in with, our, you know, of one-on-ones with our leadership team where we have, um, you know, to-dos clearly mapped out. We do all of this agenda setting within the company where we have really clear documentation so sure, you know, it's not the most organized process in the world. It can always get better. You know, we do always make a point to have things documented, to work through lists, to define due dates and to execute against those. And then at an even higher level, you know, I have monthly meetings with you guys um, at TIA. I generally have monthly meetings also with key advisors, um, if not more frequent. And so I'm speaking with them on a regular cadence and then documenting what I need to do after those meetings in order to stay on track. So, you know, those are some of the things that help, but um, I'm open to tips, Wills, uh, to do even better. You know, actually just springboarding off of that, entrepreneurs by the nature of the game are juggling, you know, 15, 20 balls at any given time. But as the leader, you know there are two or three which under no circumstances can hit the ground. What are those two or three balls for you? For sure. So as a venture back company, I would say number one is fundraising. Uh, we cannot run out of cash. That's what will put us out of business, of course. So you're always going to have enough cash in the bank to stay in business. But more importantly, in my opinion, to be able to execute against your strategy in a really successful way. So I'd say that's number one. Um, number two, I would be around the team and hiring and making sure you have the best possible people uh, in order to achieve that strategy um, and being really proactive and making sure you're getting the right people at the right time because timing can make all the difference there. So that would be number two. And then number three would be, you know, folks, they're, they're, as Wills was saying, there's so many different things you can be doing and have to do as an early stage company. And um, I think particularly in the earliest days, you have to really, really focus on the core business and the the key levers that are going to make the difference in that business. And, and everything else needs to sort of be pushed to the side for the time being. You can be thinking about these things and setting yourselves up for future success. But when you have limited resources, you need to be dedicating those resources in a really focused way in order to execute successfully. Um, and, and then as you grow and get bigger, once you start to have... Um, you know, more structure around, you know, executing on maybe that one core part of the business, you can start to, you know, do other things. But if you try to do everything at once, especially in the early stages, it's going to be very difficult, you know, I think to be successful. Um, so those would be the, you know, the three things of fundraising, hiring, and then making sure that um, everyone, like the team and the resources are dedicated to that core thing at the very beginning. I hear the F word there, focus. And yes. we're always advising advising folks in your position, I'll use a sports analogy, secure the pass before you turn and start running upfield. 
A million percent, a million percent. I had a, a middle school football coach who would always say, look it in. You got to catch the ball, look it in, and then you can start running. Um, so I would say that's very similar. Yeah. Good coach. Just on the hiring point, you know, Gipper, and we're going to talk about it very shortly, like has gone through, you know, a lot of growth. And I know you've been on a hiring uh, spree of late and like you got all sorts of new players on this Gipper team. Uh, has that kind of revealed anything to you about what it means to be a leader today for your business that maybe is like a bit different from what it meant in the past? A million percent. In the early days as a leader, the team was so small. I was wearing so many different hats and I was doing everything and being really hands-on. Um, and I was in the trenches um, you know, with our other team members doing all of that almost together. As soon as we started to hire at a really significant level, and especially when we brought in our leadership team, I feel like my job almost as a leader switched overnight where I became more removed. And I had to be, I think as a founder and CEO, you need to be constantly replacing yourself. But almost overnight, it felt like I, I, I switched from being you know, this very hands-on sort of player coach in a sense to being more removed from the nitty gritty details of the business and focusing on putting people in the right places to be and giving them the right support to be extremely successful. We're bringing on people with sort of been there, done that experience in their individual functions, which we needed to scale to the next level. And I was really focused on supporting them and allowing them to thrive and to run. Because if I tried to do it all myself still, that's just going to slow down growth and uh, we're not going to be able to execute at a high level. But that was a big change and a big shift for me as a leader. And I had to learn you know, management skills and processes really, really quite quickly um, in order to do that in an effective way. And I 100% am not the world's best manager. I'm still getting better literally every day. Um, but that was an important shift for me in understanding that, hey, my role has changed. And if I'm still holding on to that, like I need to be in doing everything and holding, like, you know, kind of working through these things with everyone, you know, it's just, we're not going to be successful. We're going to be really slow and not executing at a high level. Are there any parallels to some of that maybe come nat more naturally because it, might be a parallel to the role that you played on sports teams? I, I do think so. And I think also part of it may be, you know, trying to have a low, like low ego around these things and giving other people a lot of ownership in the right ways and not feeling like you need to be micromanaging um, every single process. Um, because again, it's just not feasible when you have all of these different people on the team, all these different functions and so much to accomplish. And I know that I'm bringing in these leaders who are experts in their field to go and be super successful. And if I trust myself and our team and our hiring process, I should definitely be trusting them to run the, these individuals to run the functions. But I think it definitely is, you know, related to that sort of switch I had because when I was in high school and playing club sports, I was like the captain of you know my team. I was you know one of the best players on the field. And then when I went to play Division One soccer, um, you know, you know the competition is much better. The players are much better. And my role had to change and particularly with injuries. So um, I was totally fine making that change because I understood it was for the best of the team. And, and I was sort of real about, Hey, this is, you know, this is the situation. Right. And so I feel like it's the same in, in business and in the context of Gipper, I'm like, this is what's necessary for us as a team to be successful. We sometimes talk about an entrepreneur's path as one littered with obstacles, challenges, problems, and frustrations. And if you don't like dealing with those, you're in the wrong sport. But 
as you sit and you look at your journey so far, what's been the most frustrating part for you? Great question. Um, I think there's just been, it's hard to say this is the one most frustrating part, but there's been at different points in the business, really frustrating periods of time. Like in the earliest days that I talked about when I was in the basement of the library, you know, thinking about hanging it up. It's like, you know, I'm making all, it was a service-based business initially. I'm making all of these highlight tapes in the middle of the night. I'm making these graphics, you know, for schools that are paying us just a couple of thousands of dollars. And there's not really any sort of result that is, you know, exciting to anyone really. And I, you know, I'm excited about the potential long-term opportunity, but it's taken forever with the service-based business. And, uh, you know, that was a frustrating instance. And then as you start to, you know, as we started to move and become a, a technology company, when I was really the only uh, full-time team member, uh, Jack, my business partner and our COO now was still in college. You know, it was really just, I was in a one person office, you know, trying to grow the um, core technology and, you know, the core technology was good, but it wasn't great, but we were still out of the market trying to sell. And, you know, the growth wasn't, you know, immediate, you know, that's frustrating because you want to just get out and have everyone adopt the platform right away and love it. Um, and there's like all these like individual moments and challenges that are frustrating, you know, in that period. But if you like, you know, continue to push through and, and have really like positive energy and are smart in the decisions you're making in that period, you then see a breakthrough. Um, and then you experience that breakthrough period, but then there's usually another challenge. So it's like these intermittent periods of frustration. Um, but I've learned going through all of those because especially in the early days when I was in college, I had the luxury of going in the, through the ups and downs. Um, I know that that's part of the process. So now when, you know, these frustrations happen, it's like, there's a, there's an understanding. We have a principle of Dipper embrace the challenge. Like we know without a fact, the one guarantee in this startup journey is that it's going to be challenging. There's going to be ups and downs. And so we want a whole team who has this mentality of embrace the challenge. We don't care about, you know, what's in front of us. Uh, we're not going to put our heads down. Uh, we're going to attack, you know, these challenges and, and overcome them. Um, so I, mean, I love you that. Know, embrace the challenge. And those those challenges will be over in probably yeah. 45, 50 years. So no worries. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you know, that, that idea of you in the library on the service business, um, you know, I, I think sometimes about like, if the feedback loop in what you're doing doesn't include wins somewhere along the way, oh, it's just really hard. Like, because the feeling of the win is something that you just kind of, want to keep trying to replicate even in the face of challenges but if you just can't get wins it's really hard to keep moving on it, i i agree a million percent and um you know we've uh you know been lucky over the past year year and a half we've had you know in my opinion a lot of wins and way more of those positive moments than any of those negative moments that i was feeling in the early days but when something like special happens like maybe there's an interaction with a customer and they say something that really stands out you know we as a team always talk about like we're not going to, you know, get overconfident based on these, you know, moments or this sort of feedback, but we're going to savor these moments because when the hard times do come, looking back and seeing, you know, those sorts of real positive, exciting moments, especially from customers, people actually using the product and you're seeing the impact of hearing about it. We can use those to then say, Hey, we need to keep pushing forward and getting better because, yeah. you know, you can take the negative stuff and you should, I think it might take it personally. And the negative feedback is way more helpful in a lot of ways than the positive feedback, but you need that sort of carrot at the end of the stick to keep going in, in a lot of respects. So I think that's been a helpful tactic for us internally. 
So we've beat around the bush enough now about Gipper. Uh, I'm guessing listeners are going to want to hear from the person who conceived of this. Like, what is Gipper? Absolutely. So Gipper is a content creation platform for schools and athletic departments. It allows anyone working within a school, a program, or a team to access ready-made templates that they can customize to their branding in just a few clicks and then publish to social media. It takes seconds, works on any device, and you don't need any sort of design experience whatsoever. So if you look at what's happening in like professional sports, you look at a team like the New York Knicks, they have all these resources in-house. They have digital, uh, full-time full in-house designers, digital media experts. They have social media specific roles around content distribution. It's like this incredible luxury that they have all these resources to cover and promote one team. We work with all those other teams, like at the high school level and these programs where you have the complete opposite situation. You have an athletic department and an athletic director who are responsible for you know, up to 70 teams and they have the fewest resources to cover them effectively. They are wearing tons of different hats. You know, They're often coaches, they're managing parents, trying to find field space. They're not professional designers, they're not professional marketers, but they know they need to be on social media. They need to be promoting their student athletes, their programs and their schools. Um, you know, we give them the resources, the tools to be able to do that themselves um, in a way that's really, really effective. And we're used by uh, multiple thousands of schools from elementary all the way up to NCAA Division One athletic programs. Yeah, but let me just, before yeah. we dive into what Gipper is like, my first reaction might be, yeah, but those are the pros, right? Like, and yet there's a number of technology companies that seem to be growing fast and scaling up in this kind of arena that you're in, sub-pro, college, high school, youth. I, I mean, maybe somewhat jokingly, but like, do consumers really care that much about youth sports, high school sports, college sports? Like, I, I, I'm sure I'll get you know in trouble for saying something like that, but like, what's really going on here? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I think it's a you know totally legitimate question, especially for some folks that may not be living in the school environment at this stage. But if you look at these communities within schools, um, they need to be communicating with their stakeholders, whether it's about their athletic programs or their individual school and what's happening on campus and with their student body. And there's been sort of like these sort of macro changes um, over the past few years that have really made this even more of a pain point, you know, for schools. One, you've seen this uh, transition from websites to social media. If you're working within a school and you survey your stakeholders, your parents, your students, family members, alumni, and you ask them like, how long do you spend on our school or athletic website versus how long do you spend on social media? The answer is going to be a landslide in favor of social media. Like this is just simply where people live in 2022 and where they consume content. And then especially coming out of COVID, there's been this massive shift, this increase in stakeholder communications expectations. Um, for better or for worse, for the, from the school standpoint, you know their community, their stakeholders are demanding information and content be shared to them where they are in real time. And as we talked about, like social media is simply where these people live. And then there's these really exciting revenue generating opportunities happening um, you know, on social media for schools and athletic programs nationwide whether that's through direct social media sponsorship, that's like a logo placement on social content. Professional teams do this in really exciting ways, generating millions of dollars in revenue. We're seeing more um, high schools and small colleges do this as well, but also in indirect ways like uh, ticketed events. If you're 
promoting your digital ticketing uh, ticket events online on social media. We see increases in gate revenue. That's important revenue going back to support the school and programs. And then also in other ways, like just better digital engagement. If folks know about what's happening at the school, they know about what's happening with the athletic program, they're more likely to give back, whether in time and money. So there's literal dollars on the table for schools when it comes to social media. Can, can we just stay with the idea of high school for a second? Um, we consume all sorts of different uh, social media inputs, news inputs, etc. And some of these were intellectually engaged with, some of them were viscerally or emotionally engaged with. As you think about the audience for Gipper, what's the nature of their engagement with the Gipper content? There's emotional engagement, um, 100%. Um, you know, whether you, you know, whether you played high school athletics, um, you likely went to a high school, um, and you're associated with that school in many different ways. And for me, for example, I played sports um, in high school. I played football. I played soccer. I was the head of our student section, uh, bringing fans to games. I was really deeply involved with the athletic program. Now as a young alumni, I still have interest in what's going on within the program. I still know lots of the coaches, the athletic administrators. And while I don't necessarily know the student athletes, when I look at what they're doing because I'm on social media, um, it brings back those memories of when I was you know, at the, at the school and playing sports. And for me personally, because I know what's going on, I've become much more involved. I was just recently back on campus, you know, speaking with our athletic directors and spending time on campus and going through the facilities, but, you know, it brought back all these memories of the time, you know, that I played and all the great times I had as part of their program. Um, and that's the same for, you know, people all over the country and also for parents um, who have relationships to these schools as well. And for community members, because in a lot of places also, High school and high school athletics are the biggest thing in town. Um, a lot of these towns rally around their schools. Um, and so it's a really, really important part of their culture and sort of their day, daily life. Got it. But is it safe to say the totality of the Gipper audiences connect with the content below the neck more than above the neck? God, I have art. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, certainly people have real interest in like the scores of the games and the players' performances and recruiting needs. There is part of that um, that I would say is above the neck, but a lot of it, a lot of it is below the neck. Um, and there's so many incredible stories within each of these schools, you know, all over the country. Um, there's over 100,000 schools in the U.S. Each of them has incredible stories to tell. Um, and we're trying to build a platform that allows them to tell those stories and share them not only with their closest community members, but the wider community as well. Um, and those are those are stories that definitely impact you know the love and neck. Is there a benefit to having that kind of visceral engagement with your audience? A business benefit? Um, I think so, um, for sure. Um, I think that sort of emotional sale in a lot of you know respects um, is different than maybe one that is much more. Um, above the neck and where they have a much longer sales process. You know, when people hear about Gipper and they see Gipper being used by another school, another wow. athletic program, they see the reaction from the folks in their community, in those communities, the students, the parents, the alumni, they know right away that this is something they need. And so we have a very fast sales cycle. It's super trans transactional. We scale to thousands of thousands of paying customers quickly. 
Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that is this emotional, you know, process, this emotional sale um, that's been you know beneficial from us for us from a business perspective. Got it. I think earlier in our conversation, you talked about like what Gipper originally was. Uh, and like, if you go back to the beginning, you know, of this, what was like a sports highlights mobile app compared to what you are present day, this graphics creation platform, which is like truly a technology business, uh, like any key takeaways, um, that you like through that process that like will stick with you for ever particular, like if you go back, you know, if, and when you, you know, Gipper becomes a total success and you, you know, get a second at bat through the learning that you add going from this sports highlights, mobile app to like a true technology company, graphics creation platform. Is there something that stands out to you? You're like, I will not do that again, or I will do this again on my next one. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There are like a million lessons uh, that I still bring <laughs> with me today and will bring with okay. me if I ever do anything else. Um, a huge one is not to just build something without speaking to people, particularly people that are going to be using or buying your product. Um, I was building the mobile app in a vacuum, essentially. I thought it was an awesome product. I thought I was going to have to drop out of school from the you know raging success we're going to have. Um, and then I quickly sobered up and realized the app's been in the app store for like two weeks and barely anyone's downloaded it. Um, and then I was like, okay, this is when the real work begins. Um, and I actually remember uh, Wills and Andy, I was in uh, Thought Into Action, the entrepreneurship program at Colgate, and I was describing what Gipper does. And someone in the audience, I actually don't remember who this is, but he raised his hand after my 60 second pitch. And I think pretty much all he said was, I don't get it. <laughs> and I think that was the honest answer to that initial product. You know, when we tried to bring it to market, people just didn't get it. And that was because we were rather thoughtless in the building of the product and we didn't bring in the key folks, which are the people that are actually going to be using it and paying for it. And once we did that, because I had all these conversations with those folks afterwards, asking them, Hey, why isn't this working? What don't you like about it? What do you like? Once I really spent time with these folks, listened and learned, I was then able to build a product around those pain points and those needs. And that's what's allowed us to be successful. So that would be a huge, um, huge thing. I do really like sort of starting off with a little bit of a service-based business or hacking the early product so that you can go to market right away and start getting feedback and learnings that you can then take to build, you know, the ultimate product oh. um, or that real, that real MVP, um, that, that we did that after the fact, I wish we did it at the very beginning. Got it. So if that was a learning back then, what is Gipper doing today to make sure there's a pipe of customer feedback going in that enables you to continue to optimize, not just address needs, but maybe stay ahead of needs? We're doing so much around listening to customers and customer feedback. Um, I can talk through a bunch of things but it's core to who we are as a company. It's built into our values is having a deep level of respect of our customers and listening, listening intently. Uh, we have um, a customer success team that does tons of virtual training sessions and customer conversations. 
Uh, we have a sales team that does virtual demos. Uh, we record those conversations and share information internally around like key moments, right? What are the pain points what, uh, of, of uh, a prospect coming into a demo? What are the uh, the solutions that we're offering? Like, what are we solving for the customer when they go to a virtual training session or get feedback on a customer meeting? And we share that company wide so that everyone has access to that information and can hear it firsthand from the customer. Uh, we do surveying uh, pretty regularly of our customers, including um, MPS. Uh, so, you know, we have MPS built in within the product. As soon as someone responds, we get an automatic message sent via Slack for the whole team to see publicly, totally transparent. Um, if there's a score of nine or 10 um, in the MPS result, uh, we have our customer champions who reach out immediately to speak with that customer and try to get, you know, like a referral or testimony or something like that because of how great of an experience they're having. But most importantly, if it's lower than, if it's an eight or lower, we have our director of product and the relevant customer champion or customer success team member reach out to try to set up a call to say, how can we do better? How can we get you to a nine or 10? Um, and then I personally try to have customer conversations on almost a weekly basis. Um, so I'm staying, um, you know, and having real firsthand relationships with customers and staying close to the customer because I want to make sure as we scale that I don't lose um, that sort of access um, and I don't become, you know, removed from the actual problems that our um, athletic directors, our coaches, our sports information directors, our schools are facing on a daily basis. There's, there's a lot more, but I would say this constant feedback and then sharing that feedback transparently throughout the organization, analyzing it, and then acting on it so that we can be better um, as, a, as, a, as a company. Another example is through support. We're analyzing all our support tickets. We're noticing where there are issues or confusion amongst customers, and then we're building that right into product so we can uh, make an even better customer experience. But that's like feedback loop and product loop is built into everything we do. It's funny. I think you said we were thoughtless in the building of the product, and it sounds as though now you're very thoughtful. Um, you know, I always think about Gipper as this very keep it simple in everything that you do. Um, you know, around kind of like all the product, and uh, clearly that's like the result of a lot more thoughtfulness going in. Uh, one thing as we kind of prepared for this interview that something I don't know. Um, okay. You went, you started this sports highlights app, mobile app, and then you transitioned. Was there like a moment or a conversation or something someone said, like, how did you realize that there was a need among athletic directors, sports information directors for like this graphics creation product, you know, uh, the certain. Absolutely. The, the service-based business that we were running in school, it was really a means to an end. We knew always that we wanted to build a scalable technology company that could service tens of thousands of uh, organizations. We just didn't know what exactly that product should look like. And because of the pain of the mobile app and being thoughtless, we wanted to really get our hands dirty, be working closely with customers and be deep in the market so we could learn and build the right product. So that's why we started off doing the service-based business and we started doing the video highlights uh, for schools and athletic programs where we would turn over 24 hours, social media specific highlights. The reaction to that showed us that content is really important to these schools. They were incredibly excited about getting content to promote on social media and to engage their stakeholders. So that was like an initial learning, but we didn't quite know if the technology should be around highlights. We were just looking, what else can we do? What else can we learn essentially? We saw what was happening with these professional sports teams and Division One athletic programs with social media sports graphics. 
We thought it was very interesting. We taught ourselves Photoshop and Illustrator. Uh, this was me and, and Jack, you know, my business partner. And we started making graphics on behalf of our schools. And the reaction to the graphics was so positive, so visceral that we knew this was the opportunity to build technology, but also, and importantly, building technology made it a much better offering for the schools. The service-based business around graphics had to be priced really high. It just wasn't feasible for most of the schools in the country because it was so labor-intensive. And also, you couldn't create real-time content using the service-based business. Like, try getting a halftime score graphic back from an agency in time. It's not going to happen. We always talk about, like, no one wants the halftime score a day later. And sports is so time sensitive. You need to get information out in real time. And so the combination of those, you know, you know, kind of three things I would say, which is one, um, you know, the fact that the reaction was so positive, the feedback from customers was so good. And then two and three, that technology would allow us to lower the price point to make it affordable to almost every school in the country. And three, um, allow um, schools and athletic programs to have a better experience because they could create real time content. That come together was a really, really exciting opportunity and a clear indication that we needed to go and move quickly to do this. Was it hard to let go of like that sports highlights mobile app that you had invested time and money into? Um, it was not hard to let go of the mobile app um, at that stage. It was initially because we had invested significant time and, you know, you know, at the time money into it. Um, that was difficult. I luckily had really great advisors like yourself, Wills and Andy, and folks that were mentoring me that had much more experience that helped me, you know, make that decision sort of leap of faith. But once we had the service-based business running, you know, we always knew technology was the end goal. That's what we wanted to build. I didn't personally want to run a service-based business, nothing against it, but I wanted to build a technology company. And again, I had great uh, mentors and advisors. Um, that helped guide us to, you know, through that, that transition. Um, yeah. So, so name, image, and likeness, NIL, uh, the world is changing and changing fast. Any thoughts you have or predictions about where this is going to go is, you know, is it going to end up looking like the pros, you know, people on Cereal boxes and ads, et cetera, et cetera. Will it, what's it going to look like? Yeah. I mean, there, as you said, the landscape is changing rapidly. I was actually impacted by NIL when I was in college as a student and athlete working on Gipper. I got a call from our coach, uh, you know, telling me that I was ineligible uh, because essentially my name, my photo, my likeness was on the Gipper website. So I had to uh, go into our compliance officer's office and I let him or he had to let me know that I couldn't go to practice or participate in the team. And I had to work with the NCAA to reinstate my eligibility. And in the process, I almost made the entire athletic department ineligible because I had all these brand ambassadors that were helping out as well. So I was almost enemy, uh, public enemy number one for Colgate Athletics. Um, luckily, I was able to get that resolved, but I always felt that, you know, the name image or likeness issue had to change at the collegiate level. And I'm very glad that it did. I think it's the right thing. Um, I think. It's still getting figured out, um, obviously, and there's a lot of gray area, but the point is that student athletes being able to monetize up their name, image, and likeness is not going to go away. It's the right thing. They should be able to do this in a free market type of way. I think the big change that people aren't aware of is going to be what's happening at the high school space. Um, because like I said, 
earlier in this conversation, high school sports, high school athletics in some of these communities around the country is the biggest show in town. This is where people go on Friday nights. The athletes on these teams are the superstars in the community. And that doesn't mean that they need to go on and play in the NFL or the NBA and make millions and millions of dollars, but there's going to be opportunities for them to monetize their name, image, and likeness um, in really exciting ways um, that most folks aren't talking about because they're so focused on the collegiate environment. There's already legislation passing in states across the country that's mirroring the um, NCAA NIL rules, and that's only going to continue. Um, over time. And I think it's going to be much quicker than people expect. Um, and we're really excited about this opportunity. Uh, we think content is uniquely tied to NIL. Uh, these athletes need content in order to promote themselves, in order to grow their audience, in order to build a strong digital brand so that they can go and monetize if they'd like to. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's the, the changes that are going to happen at the high school space around high school athletics and high school student athletes. This can be a super touchy subject, I'm sure. I'm curious, like, what are the, what are some of the guardrails that you believe need to be considered versus just saying, hey, we're going to do what they do with the pros and now start doing it at high school. Well, actually, you know what? We're going to start doing it in junior high. Like, what are some of the most important considerations that need to be made in your, in your view? I think education is critically important um, with NIL coming to high school athletics in particular, you have a younger generation, right? You're not now dealing with 21, 22 year olds. Uh, you're dealing with, you know, you talked about junior high, 15, 16, 17 year olds. Uh, these are not adults. These are not fully developed individuals. They need education uh, and they also need a support system. I mean, education amongst their school, their athletic department, and hopefully their parents as well so that they can make the best decisions for them and they can't be taken advantage of uh, by brands and businesses um, you know, that are looking to, to, to leverage these athletes uh, for, for their own success. So I think that's a really big thing. Um, I also think, you know, student athletes, um, especially at this younger age, should be able to have more clear uh, rules. Honestly, I think the grayness creates a lot of issues because you have uh, student athletes accidentally getting themselves in trouble and ineligible. And I don't think that's fair either. So I think you know, from a, a legislative standpoint within each of these individual states, it needs to be really clear. There really shouldn't be gray area so that you have a situation where a young student athlete is trying to go on and play college or trying to make some money to support himself and his family, um, you know, run into issues that they didn't know, you know, were there. So I think it's the combination of education and, and more clear legislation. Um, and that will make, you know, that's not everything. There's going to have to be more, I think. And as things develop, you know, you have to be flexible and and adjust. Um, but those, I think, are, are core to ensuring that student athletes, importantly, are taken care of and put in a position where they can be successful. Do you, does Gipper play some role in this, in your view? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're already um, very big on education and professional development and providing resources to folks in our market, in our community. Uh, that includes student athletes in terms of how to better leverage social media you know, how to do things the right way in order to build uh, a digital brand and to generate an audience, uh, whether you want to monetize it or, or otherwise. Um, we're going to continue to lean into education. Uh, we have really a motto around here to help. And of course, we're a business and we have business goals and, you know, we don't hide those things. Um, but 
as we grow, we expect to continue to help and support the folks in our market in really substantial ways. Um, and we're going to continue, yeah, we're going to continue to do this, um, especially around student athletes, because like I said, at the high school level, these are really young kids. And I was at that age and I definitely didn't have it all figured out. And you throw NIL into the mix and you have brands reaching out for sponsorship that only makes things more complex. So we have to have a, a level of support and care um, to help these student athletes. Matthew, you've been on the Gipper journey, building this company for a number of years now. And we all have expectations when we start what it'll be like. Curious, what is most surprised you about this journey, about building Gipper? I think what's most surprised me is how all-encompassing it is. I think when I got started, you know, I, you know, I talked about being ambitious and, and wanting to work hard. You know, I always knew it wasn't going to be easy, but in the earliest days, as you're just kind of like ideating, that's sort of like this like fun, sort of lighthearted process. But then as you start to you know build a company, you start to hire your first employees that are relying on you, um, you start to grow the team, there's um, it, it just becomes much, much bigger. And you know, I would say Gipper is my life in many respects. And I would look at these videos of entrepreneurs talking about, you know, later stages, how much you know they gave to support the business and sort of the blood, sweat, and tears that it's took. And I didn't really process that. I was kind of just, you know, oh, that's interesting. Let me go and just like continue to build the business. But now at this stage, I'm understanding this is all encompassing. And this is why it's so meaningful and why the wins are so exciting because you know, like you've given yourself, you know, to the company. Um, and that's been both incredibly challenging, but also, you know, incredibly rewarding and also a bit of a surprise, just the, the sort of size of it all and what it takes and still, you know, so much to do and so much to learn. When the wins being that rewarding kind of harkens back to your, uh, early days as an athlete. Absolutely. And I think, right. If, if you're just winning all the time and it's super easy, you're playing against terrible competition. Like that's not, not fun. Like I used to hate playing in games where it didn't matter like a friendly or something or against a team where they're not good. It's like that to me wasn't fun because you don't feel that reward at the end. It's like, why are we doing this? But when I was an athlete, the most fun I had was in the games when we were going up against the toughest competition. Oftentimes we were like underdogs and like when you win those games, it's like the greatest feeling you can ever get. I um, mean, that's sort of, I think that like chip on the shoulder, you know, mentality. That's definitely what you feel as a startup. Um, as an early stage company entering a space where there's, you know, other folks already operating for years, much bigger companies, right? The odds are stacked against you, but that's what like gets me up in the morning. That's what gets me excited. I'm sure though, we talked a bit about decision-making. I'm sure there'll be, you know, so many others that you make along the way. Is there a decision that you've made so far that you look back on? You're like, I'm so happy I made that one. Like the best decision you've made for Gipper so far. Yeah, uh, two, but they're along the same thing. And it's all around people. Uh, one was partnering up with Jack when I was in college because I was just on my own trying to build Gipper and finding Jack in the marketing club and somehow convincing him to join a company that didn't really exist uh, was one of the best decisions uh, you know I've made and we've made as a company looking back. And then also just hiring uh, a team and building a really, really high quality group, particularly our leadership team. When those folks came into our company, it just supercharged us. Again, my role changed, but in a really, really positive way for myself and for the business. And um, you know, that's something I have to thank you and Andy and Randy for because you always talked about you know, people being a superpower and um, you know, making a point to invest early in really great, great different difference makers. 
Um, and that's been tremendous. So I'm going to carry that with me as we continue to scale. So you mentioned that Gipper has been on a journey. And when you started the journey, it, the journey looked like it was going a different place than it is now. Assume for a second that you get Gipper right and it becomes everything you fantasize that can be. What's the big vision that you've created? At the end of the day, you sit back, put your feet up, and relax for 15 or 20 seconds. Because I'm guessing that's all you're going to do. What had you created? We've created a platform that is de facto for schools, athletic programs, and athletes nationwide and even internationally that allows them to create and share digital content across mediums in ways that just wasn't possible before and allows them to monetize that content in ways that's incredibly rewarding uh, for, again, schools, athletic programs, and student-athletes. Um, so that Gipper can not only add all these benefits just naturally from the content, but can be a revenue generator for these schools and student athletes who need access to funds. Um, that is you know, the big vision of Gipper and being a de facto platform and doing that. So every school, every program in the country has Gipper as a part of their technology stack. Matthew, really appreciate you going along here with us. This has been really awesome, fascinating. I've been taking a bunch of notes. There's a few things here that really stood out to me. And, uh, you know, hopefully this has been helpful to our listeners as well. So really appreciate this, Matthew. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, Wills and Andy. Thank you so much for the incredible support uh, since I started really my entrepreneurial journey. I, I truly believe I am not here without both of you. And now to have Randy's support is incredible. So um, just thank you so much. And I look forward to hopefully maybe coming back on in years uh, time and uh, sharing all the successes, um, awesome. all the more, all the more learnings. Well, great. Thank, thank you. you. Adam. One. I'm sure you're going on to do a hundred other things today. Uh, we'll speak soon. Cheers. Take care. Thank you. thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this interview and invite you to check out many of the others on our website. TI Ventures is a seed stage fund, focusing primarily on early stage B2B technology companies with an obsessive focus on end customers and early teams.